Welcome to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. The fact that you're listening means you're ready to be inspired and empowered to take your life, love, and leadership to the next level. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to a brand new podcast. It's Matt Morgan, and today we unpack a fun one. It's Enneagram Type 4, which is the romantic or the individualist. And I have with me a special guest, my dear friend and college roommate, Matt Hofkes. Matt, thanks for joining us, buddy. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. So Matt and I, we share several things in common. Not only do we go to the same college, University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, which our mascot was... The Blue Gold. The Blue Gold, which if you don't know what that is, I mean, come on, people. What is a Blue Gold? It's a mythical bird. (laughs) So what people would chant when we were losing a basketball game. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, we share the same name. We shared the same room, the same dorm room for a period of time. And do you remember what we actually said on our answering machine? It was, hey, this is Matt Ho and Matt (laughs) Moe. We're not here right now. Uh, we'll let you put those two words together. So Matt Ho, H-O for Hofkies, and Matt Mo M-O for Morgan. Wow, we were really mature. <laughs> well, buddy, I'm so glad you're here. Matt moved to Denver about two years ago from Rome, Italy. He was in Atlanta, Georgia. And so we spent about eight years apart, and now we're together attached at the hip. It's a ton of fun. So what we're going to do as we begin is I'm going to unpack some descriptions of the type four that comes from the book Road Back to You. And again, if you're listening for the very first time, you're like, oh, am I a four? Am I connected to a four? Married to a four? Dating a four? You know, my boss might be a four. Before you just dive into here, go back to the beginning introduction so that you can get a framework around the Enneagram because that is so helpful in understanding each and every type. And so let's start with some descriptions here. The first one is this. I like things that are unconventional, dramatic, and refined. I'm definitely not a fan of the ordinary. Number two, I never felt like I truly belonged. I have so many feelings in a day, it's hard for me to know which one to pay attention to first. (laughs) Some people think I'm aloof, but I'm really just unique. In social situations, I tend to hang back and wait for others to approach me melancholy is comfortable to me. So it's annoying when people try to cheer me up. I'm not like everyone else. Thank goodness. I'm very sensitive to criticism and it takes me a while to get over it. I spend a lot of time trying to explain myself. When people tell me what to do, I'm often tempted to do the opposite. Sometimes I just disappear and go radio silent for a few days. I'm really okay with sad songs, sad stories, sad movies. Overly happy people kind of give me a headache. I feel there is something essentially lacking in me. It's really hard for me to settle into relationships because I'm always looking for my ideal soulmate. I'm self-conscious sometimes and it's hard for me to find my place in a room full of people. People say I'm too intense and my feelings overwhelm them. I'm either an artist or highly creative. I come up with one creative thing after another. It's executing them that's actually the hard part. Lots of people misunderstand me and it makes me frustrated. I can pull people in, but then I get nervous and I actually push them away. And lastly, I worry a lot about abandonment. Okay, so Matt, for you, when you hear this list of description, what aspect of that resonates with you personally when you look at this list? Well, most of the things on the list resonate with me. First of all, the sense that I felt like I've never quite belonged, that I have so many feelings that it's hard for me to know which ones to pay attention to first. I've definitely been described as a little bit aloof. Melancholy is comfortable for me. 
It's really interesting even when you talk about like feelings. Fours don't do feelings. They are their feelings. And they have so many feelings, they're disorganized of which one to even talk about first. Because the fours, like the threes and the twos, are in the heart or feeling triad. Well, I know when someone asks me what I think about something, even though I'm an academic and I'm a teacher and I have thoughts, my initial instinct is a feeling. It's like a picture, like a snapshot of what my heart is. And that's always where I start, even being a teacher and being an intellectual. So I can't escape that part of who I am. That's amazing. You talk about melancholy too, that that resonated with you. What's the difference between melancholy and depression? Some people think that's like, oh, he's melancholy, so he must be depressed. That's not yeah. necessarily the case though, is it? Well, yeah, like depressed or sad, right? And if we're talking about personality, you know, in a sense, who I am, it's not that I'm sad. Like sadness is something that happens to me. But for me, I view melancholy as the sense of longing. You know, it's that I can sit up on a mountain and I can look out and long for something more. Or on a rainy day, I can sit on a porch and actually kind of enjoy it. You know, thinking that there's something beautiful, even in maybe just the the rain, the ordinary, something that's drab and Yeah, it's so funny. You know, I remember Ian Cron talking about like if a four had a choice between going to Disney World and going to Ireland, sitting on an over a cliff on an ocean, writing songs, (laughs) they're going to pick the Ireland in a heartbeat. Absolutely. All the sevens are going to go to Disney World. (laughs) The enthusiast. Well, I think that gets to like, I crave authenticity. There's something about Disney World that doesn't feel authentic to me. Mm. But when I sit on that cliff, right, and I'm Mm -hmm. looking out at the ocean, everything feels authentic. Yeah. Someone once said, melancholy is the happiness of being sad. And I think there's something so beautiful in that. And one of the things that I love, you talked about the word authenticity. That is one of the things that I love so much about our friendship because I'm a three. And so as a three, if you remember from last week, those of you who are listening, threes are people who try to appear successful. When somebody asks you, hey, what's going on at work or in your life or in your relationships, we always try to maximize and communicate our highlight reel. And yet the things behind the scenes that we don't want anybody to talk about, we try to protect those things because we believe deep down that there's something, you know, if you really knew the real me, you would like me. And yet what I love about you is that the real me is actually the thing that you long to hear. Yes. And in addition to that, when we're talking highlight reel, for me, my highlight reel is what I've wrestled with. Mm. It's the feelings that I've been able to process and the understanding of myself that I've come to understand. And so, you know, Matt, when I'm hanging out with you, what I appreciate most is when you're able to share with me those authentic moments of this is how I felt and this is what I struggled through. I love that you've been successful in so many things that you've done, but that's not what connects me to you. You know, my desire for authenticity connects me to you in the sharing of depth. Yeah, that is amazing. So healthy fours have a considerable emotional range and they manage it not by just speaking and acting on every feeling that they have. They live in the most part, you know, outside of shame, inferiority, they understand the sadness and melancholy in the healthy ways. You know, for example, like if I lost my dog, (laughs) heaven forbid, one day it's going to happen, but like I would not call a seven friend and be like, I just lost my dog because my seven friend hates pain. And so they're going to try to spin it in a positive way. Well, hey, Matt, at least you don't have to get a dog sitter anymore for vacations. At least you have that going for you. Like, I don't want to hear that. What I'm going to do though is I'm going to call you because you understand melancholy and you'll be able to sit a good four. Oh my gosh, you want them when things are going wrong because they fundamentally can empathize with that pain and they will just be there. Not try to fix you, but to just be present and present is powerful. Well, and part of that for me is understanding, but part of it is just also, I'm not good at faking it. You know, like I can't show up and say, hey, we should just have a good time. Yeah. Dog is, <laughs> like, totally. Even though your dog is dead. It's like, I have to be present because that's who I am. Yeah. 
Fours are also, they're deeply creative, very artistic. They're emotionally honest and connected. They're attuned to beauty. So I have a wing four. I'm a three wing four. My four comes out big time in beauty. That's why I love golfing and being on the golf course is amazing. Some famous fours include Bob Dylan, Meryl Streep, you know, Swedish film director, Igmar Bergman. Probably Prince was a four. He's got that song, Purple Rain. It's amazing to be able to see the world of a four. But we talk about descriptions, but in every podcast, we really talk about the heart of how you know your type, which again, our type is really where we fundamentally hover. It's not you. It doesn't define you per se. You're bigger than your personality or your mask that you wear. And all of these personality types, you guys, are the masks we wear that we cope. And the core motivation meaning why you do what you do. That's how you really discover your type because your behaviors can go in different types depending on the topic. But for most fours, the core motivation is a desire to belong, but in doing so being special or unique. But here's the problem. They fundamentally, you guys, believe that something's wrong with them that something is missing, that something's off, and it seems like everyone else has joy, but they don't. Like It seems like everyone else has it together sometimes, but they don't. And so that is fundamentally the thing that they're trying to get back to, which is to belong. Because oftentimes fours, when they're children, you're six years old, they oftentimes, children say that they feel misunderstood by their parents, their siblings, their peers growing up. Fours are more introspective as children. They're both approachable and yet unavailable at the same time. And so it's like, leave me, but don't go. And they really want to belong, but they have this wounding message that they hear, which is, you guys, there's something off about me and no one understands me. And as a result, I'm never really going to belong. Okay. So when you hear this description of a four, how does that impact you within childhood? Well, the description that you gave is certainly how I felt as a child, feeling misunderstood by my parents and feeling misunderstood by my peers and always feeling like I didn't quite connect with those people who I should connect with. As we went through and we were talking about my personality type and as I was reading this book, there were a number of personalities that I felt like I connected with, one being the perfectionist, another the helper, the enthusiast. But ultimately, it was that core question of, do I belong? Maybe I don't feel like I've quite ever perfectly belonged. I've had these feelings of being misunderstood. It was those questions in particular that led me to believe that I am a four. Well, and fundamentally, that something's off, like something's missing. I mean, that's like the heart of a four. And as a result, that's a very lonely feeling for children and then for adults as well, feeling then misunderstood. And oftentimes, fours say that they think a lot about the past and they wonder why God abandoned them. And so if you're a parent and you're thinking, hmm, maybe my child's a four, never tell a child of a four, you know, why can't you be like other kids? <laughs> That's Certainly. the last thing they want to be able to hear because they want to be special and unique. So when I heard that certain times when I was young, not from my parents, but from other adults, and I remember how wounding that statement was. Hmm. Why is that wounding? Well, I already knew that there was something wrong with me, right? Mm -hmm. That's the core belief. And then to have that confirmed, it's just like, oh, of course. And I want to belong. but I want to belong, but there's something deficient about me or defective and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Especially as a child, you feel so helpless and unable to like change the world around you. And you're really just relying upon other people to care about you. There wasn't a lot of change I could make at that point in my Mm -hmm. life. So let's talk about the shadow side of a four, you know, or the growth area in particular for you. Now, remember, every single one of us have a shadow side and the shadow side for a four is envy. It's seeing that maybe everyone else has 
their community, has their church, has their job, has whatever it is you're looking for, except you. And so as a result, they feel envy. Now, keep in mind that envy is not the same thing as jealousy. Envy has to do with desiring a characteristics that others possess. Jealousy, on the other hand, occurs when something we already possess is at risk of being taken away from us. And though envy is the big shadow side of a four, fours can also experience jealousy as well, okay? Jealousy has to do with their fear of abandonment and expresses itself in a possessiveness with people they love. So for you, when you hear that, like, what would you say is maybe your growth area personally when it comes to becoming the best healthy four you can be? I need to recognize that there is not anything wrong with me, um, that the things that occur in my life aren't necessarily due to some defect in who I am. If I have a colleague who gets recognized at work, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me, mm. you know, or in my case, um, I'm in my early 30s and I'm not married and I don't have a family. Is that a result of something that's wrong with me? I have a tendency at times to say yes. You know, there must be something that's not right about me that has gotten me to this point in life, either through my decisions or the decisions of other people, you know, that hasn't got me to where I really want to be. Mm, that's huge. You know, it's interesting. We talked about healthy fours, but then there's average and unhealthy fours as well. And that's true of all types. Mm -hmm. And again, remember friends, if you've been listening to this, you can be healthy in one moment and then unhealthy in another moment within a given day. So we are all on a pendulum, but average fours, they struggle daily with accepting themselves as they are. And they seek their identity by exaggerating their uniqueness. And sometimes they're coy. You know, they want you to want them, but then they play hard to get. And their melancholy ends up going unchecked, causing painful distance between themselves and other people. And average force can be very moody and melodramatic and, you know, needy and self-pitying. And then unhealthy fours are straight up manipulative. And they will play the role of the victim in order to keep or maintain a relationship. And they find themselves lacking when compared to others, which only exacerbates their self-debasement. And they feel so much shame. That's a word that's huge for fours. And they are, as a result, unable to connect to the very part of themselves that believes that they can change and be better. And so that's a four when you're unhealthy in a growth area. Well, some of those unhealthy things I can definitely relate to, uh, two of them being the self-pity uh, when things really go wrong. Actually, the other one, I'm not sure if you mentioned, but I have this tendency to really want to share my emotions with others, and it can be overwhelming at times. As a four, I have so many emotions that when I let them out, people will say, man, I just can't handle it. Uh, it's just too much for me. Wow. Okay, so let's just talk about this because you and I literally just had this issue. So one of the big things in relationships to fours, fours say, leave me, but don't go. And that right there, if you're in a relationship with a four, can be intention. And you just talked about how like your feelings, because you have so many of them, can be overwhelming for people that you've actually watched people leave you. Is that accurate? Certainly, yes. So as a result, what's your strategy that you try to do for yourself? Well, typically I try to regulate my own emotions. And if I feel like I'm going to overwhelm somebody with emotion, I will retreat and try to put my life back together before I re-engage somebody who I'm in relationship with, either romantically or someone who's a friend of mine, because I don't want to overwhelm them with all of the stuff that's going on inside of me. Yeah. So you and I, literally, this is the first time we've connected this week and the first time in two and a half months. We used to spend every week to every other week together, at least talking at some point, other than last year when you went to Spain for 
hiked the Camino Trail. I mean, how cool is that? For what? Was that 550 miles or something like that? Yep, 500 miles. <laughs> in over Spain, 30 days. Over 30 days, you walked like 20-something miles a day, which is so cool. I wasn't there. But it was crazy because you and I haven't spoken since like end of November of last year, which is two and a half months now from the time of this podcast. And I've been wondering, where did my friend go? Like, what happened? Like, what's going on? And we actually just had a conflict and we're just working this out together. Like, hey, what happened to my friend? Tell us the audience, like, where did you go in that space, even just with me in light of what you just talked about with like, hey, when you are emotional and you're not doing well, how that plays out and trying to make sure that you're trying to get yourself right first. Yeah, so Matt and I, we haven't had much communication in almost two or two and a half months. And at the time, I was in a relationship that wasn't going well and sort of processing through a breakup and trying to figure out how that would work. And one of my thought processes was that, you know, I have all of this stuff going on inside of me. If I go to Matt, if I go to somebody else and I explain all of this, they're going to find themselves overwhelmed. And so what I need to do is I need to back off. I need to figure out my life. I need to put it in order. I spent a couple months trying to make sure that everything at my job was right, that my room was clean, that I got my taxes done, you know, that I was getting all the groceries I needed, thinking if I organize all these parts of my life, I can emotionally regulate to the point that when I go back and I talk to Matt, I'm not going to dump all these things on him and he's going to be overwhelmed and run away. Yeah. It is so amazing for me to have the Enneagram personally because of my relationship with you. Because on the other side of the coin, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, does Matt not like me anymore? Did I do something to offend him? Did I do something wrong? You know, does he not want to be with me? Which was not the case. But it's how I interpret it based on the distance. And you are separating yourself because in the past, relationships have fallen away. For me as a close friend, though, we just had a conversation of like, man, what actually makes me come closer to you is when you have the freedom to be emotional. But what's so powerful is that if you're listening to this and you are connected to a four in a friendship or in a romantic relationship, you must understand and be okay with giving a four some space. They need that space and it's not malicious or they don't like you. And I literally was wrestling this over the last two months with you. So I just think this is such an authentic conversation because it's in real time for us personally. And it's like, oh my gosh, now I could be thinking in my head, like I've called Matt, I've texted him, he didn't respond. Okay, fine, F you, I'm done with this. You know, if he doesn't want to talk to me, I won't talk to him, you know? And it's like, whoa, all of a sudden, if I was did that, I would have been completely wrong because it wasn't your frame of mind at all. Well, and I need to recognize on my side that spending two and a half months away from somebody I care about, who's a friend of mine, is certainly not the right approach, right? But there's this order of things that I try to approach. And, you know, it's like, I have to fix myself. I have to figure out what this thing is that's wrong. So then people accept me. Mm. Then maybe finally just things will work. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that Matt and I talked about earlier was that there's a real tendency in a four and myself to misplace what's wrong. Mm. Yes. It's crazy how in every single one of our types, our greatest strength is simultaneously our greatest weakness. So the very thing that we do so well, we actually sometimes do too well and it becomes a weakness for us. And for the four, what I want you to hear if you're a four is that the very thing that you feel like, which is something's missing or something's off, when you feel that way, the problem is this, you're always going to feel that way. Like that's never going to go away. It's a carrot that continues to stay in front of you. And it's like two sides of one coin. On one side, yeah, of course there's stuff that's wrong with you, just as there is with all of us. The lie is that you feel like you're the only one. 
who has these problems and that everyone else's life is perfect and have joy, which is why you have envy. So on one side, yes, you're on a growth area as we all are. But on the other side of the coin, there is this moment where if you could realize that who you are is already enough, it is so powerful. You're Catholic, right? Yes. Fours love liturgy and a depth and a nuance there, which is so beautiful. But I love the prodigal son story. And the whole story, if you're not familiar with it, is that where the father has two sons, the younger son takes his inheritance early, squanders everything, and then finds himself after a while living, realizing he's got nothing. And so with his tail between his legs, goes back to his father, thinks he's lost his sonship and maybe could get hired as a servant. Upon returning, the father embraces him, says, my son who was once lost is now found and let's kill the fattened calf and we're having a party and put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. Meanwhile, the older son, who didn't leave, who was obedient, who stayed the whole time, is watching this scene and he's pissed. And he goes to the father and he says, that son of yours, meaning he's lost brotherhood with them, that son of yours, he did all these things and yet you embrace him with that? You have never once killed the fattened calf, put a robe on my back or a ring on my finger. What the heck, dad? And the dad with this like, oh my gosh, response ends the story with my son. Did you not realize that everything I've had is already yours? And for me, for fours, for ones, for sixes, I wonder if the older son is such a story of our life that if we could realize that the very thing that you long for is already yours and right in front of you. Relationships, the beauty right in front of you. Fours can be so easy into thinking about what they don't have and what's missing in their life that they rarely see the beauty of what already is. And when you can work and operate from a place of already being enough and that your identity is already enough. You work from a place of joy and you experience the joy you really long for, which actually then helps you connect and belong to the people you want without losing your uniqueness. So what an incredible thing in relationships. And I'm curious for you though, at work, how does your four express itself? You're a math teacher, high school math teacher at a Catholic school, the boys division. And so how does your four connect at work? Well, it exhibits itself, I think, in two ways. One that's very positive and the other that at times can be very negative. And, you know, we've talked about some of the struggles that fours face, but I think the struggle, as you said, there's a flip side to the coin, which makes us intensely creative. You know, I really dislike doing mundane activities. And, you know, somebody might say, well, teaching math and teaching algebra and teaching kids how to add and do these really basic things is mundane. But there's a fascination for me and my job of trying to figure out how to communicate something to someone else who has no understanding of what's going on. So my content isn't the fascination. It's the creativeness involved in connecting with another human being and figuring out how to take something that is so subtle and simple in your mind and communicate it to them in a way that they aren't going to find complicated and overbearing. So teaching for me is a great profession, given the need for me to be creative and to try out new things. I have new students every year. You know, every year I have 120 new kids who come in with a different set of needs. I can't do the same thing every year and expect it to work. I can't even do the same thing from day to day. I mean, I'll do the same lesson two days in a row with different classes and one day it is perfect. And the next day it is an absolute disaster because there's a creativity required in meeting the students that I have. My fourness comes out there. It Absolutely. works really well. The negative side for me 
deals with like the emotional regulation. There's times when I just become incredibly frustrated, say with my boss or with my colleagues or something that happens. For example, just the other day, I came into my room fourth period. I had taught second. There was a teacher in my room during third and one of the desks in the back is broken. You know, I have 28 kids and I only now have 27 desks and I'm like super upset thinking, okay, which teacher allowed the kid to break the desk and like didn't care, or didn't notice. And I was going to write an email right away, like zip it off, you know, ignore my kids, probably something a little bit nasty. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to set the desk in the corner and I need to like take a step back and not do this right now. Because I know that if I let my emotions go, I get myself into tough spots as a four, you know, just being a feeler and that whole dance of, you know, pushing someone away, but then pulling them back. Mm. It's just the level of my emotion is too much in those cases. That's amazing. You know, fours at work, if you're a young four and you're thinking like, oh, what, what did my life look like? First of all, even just hearing the Enneagram, fours have a hard time with the Enneagram because it's like, wait, other people could be like me. No, no, no. I'm unique or individual. And also fours, what you see is never what you get. There's so much complexity. They are the most complex type of all the types. But as a result, what happens is a lot of fours gravitate towards the arts for work, for filmmaking, musicians, painters, but guys, they can be anything, right? I mean, Matt's a math teacher. You could be a yoga instructor, a butcher, a web designer. You can do anything. But the point is in a workspace, especially if you have a four working with you, to be able to give them an opportunity where they can make something their own. And if you can allow them to make something their own, they will actually exceed expectations on a regular basis because they're so good. They're so creative and they feel like they finally can do something that's authentic to them, which is huge at work. Maybe you have an idea and you allow them to express their unique idea. Even if you don't go with their idea, that's okay. They just want to know that you've heard their idea and that they've been acknowledged in that. And so that's really, really big. Fours will oftentimes procrastinate if you ask them to do a job with too many details, okay? If you tell them to write a report or fussing around with some spreadsheet, you know, they're not as much detail-oriented all the time, except for when they're in security and they go to their one. So let's talk about that a second. Real quick, so what happens is fours share two other numbers and one in security, which is where they go to the one which is the perfectionist, or two, the helper in stress. Talk to me about how the one and the two connect to you personally within relationships, within work, the whole deal. So the one, the perfectionist, is where I go when I'm in security because I have strong desire to do things right. You know, in some ways it's related to my four because it's in a hope of figuring out what's wrong. If I do what's right, perhaps people will, you know, accept me or I'll accept myself. And that's even maybe when you go away by yourself and you're like, okay, I need to isolate myself for a little bit. I need to get myself, quote unquote, right. Exactly. Yes. And so maybe your one is even coming out like, okay, I need to come out in that yeah. way. Do you want to add with me? You'd mentioned that fours tend to shy away from details. I want to add to that and say that it's the details that are mundane that are struggles. You know, if I have to fill in an Excel sheet, for example, or if I'm working through a whole bunch of data, people might say, oh, that's just really ordinary and not fun. I find that incredibly creative though. There's ability to create there that doesn't bother me. If you ask me to just simply do data entry, that would drive me crazy because I felt like it lacked creativity. But as long as those details still involve creativity, I think there's something really beautiful there. 
Cool. As far as where I go in stress. Just the helper, number two. Yeah, the number two. For me, it becomes a desire for relationships, but they're not healthy relationships. They're relationships that are transactional. So like I attempt to help people so that in turn, they come back and recognize my need to help mm-hmm. me like cope with my emotions or to, you know, maybe provide me some sense that there isn't something wrong with me because someone else has accepted me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a give and take transactional relationship in stress yes. of where you go. That's so good. And then the other thing that people connect to within a four is a wing. And so the four can either experience the five, which is the investigator, which we'll learn next week, or the three. Again, everybody's different. You talked to me about like, man, I actually experienced some tendencies of a seven, the enthusiast. What about the five or the three? Does that resonate with you in any way? Yeah. So when I was reading through those, I struggled to connect with the three or the five. The three, because they're a performer and you think, well, you know, I'm a teacher. I basically perform every day. But, you know, it's not the performer in the sense that, hey, I'm looking for attention. You know, if I'm performing at school, I'm doing it because it's a need. It's not because I actually enjoy it. And then as far as the five goes, you know, the five moved into the thinking triad. And I just don't know that I'm ever quite there. Like everything for me is through the perspective of feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not that you don't have depth in knowledge and thought, but that you connect feeling. Yeah. And as I said before, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm an intellectual. But my first inclination and everything is how does it make me feel? How does it strike me? And then I add to it. Right. So we'll call you a four with a four way. (laughs) I'm good with that. You know what I love about two is fours don't ever want a job just to do a job or just to have a paycheck. Fours want to have purpose, meaning, connection. How does being a math teacher connect to purpose to you? So the question of meaning and purpose is exactly why I've chosen to be a math teacher, especially at the high school age. I see that I have the opportunity to create and to build something that's lasting in my students to be able to affect lives. I'm not a real complicated person in terms of like what I desire with money and stuff. Which is pretty cool because you can make three times the amount of money that you do now because you're a really smart dude. But you choose not to because that's not your core motivation in terms of purpose. It's like I want to make an impact in the kids' lives. Yeah, I want to do something that I find incredibly interesting and that I find to be meaningful. That is the heart of a four at work. That's beautiful. Well, as we wrap up, I want to ask this question. If there was one thing you would want other types or other numbers to know about a four that might be helpful, what would it be? So for me, the one thing that I would want someone to know about a four, especially if you're in relationship with a four, is that when a four pulls away, it isn't that we don't care about you. We're trying to deal with something that exists in ourselves. And if you're looking to help us out, Providing a little bit of space and being patient in that is definitely very helpful. I would say also that the thing that we need to hear as a four is you have what it takes, that the parts of you are enough to deal with whatever problem exists, to get you through whatever you need. You know, as one whose core motivation is there's something wrong with me, there's something broken with me, I need someone to speak to that and actually affirm the opposite. I need someone to tell me that I have what it takes to do whatever it is that I'm Mm. trying to do. That's so good. That's so good. May you resonate with that. For those of you who are connected or related to a four and that those of you who are a four, you realize that you are enough. I want to end with some paths to growth for you if you're a four. And the first one is just that. Would you realize that you already are? That fundamental piece that something's missing is always going to be there and never be resolved. And so I think a better way and understanding is that you are already are enough. That doesn't mean that you don't have work areas, but you could say already am enough and you can work from that foundation. And number two, be aware of (laughs) self-absorption. 
and realize that life's not just about you, that there are other people in relationship. And so you're cognitive of other people around you, not just yourself. Number three, don't instigate drama with family or friends, you know, when your emotions get high. You know, you talked about like at work, I just want to throw off that, you know, you didn't do this desk and what in the world? Like that would be a next step. Number four, appreciate what's present in relationships and in life rather than always focusing on the problem of what's missing. Yeah. And to say something to this, as a Catholic and as a Christian, one of the things that I've been learning an enormous amount about is that I am provided in each moment with everything that I need. If I can open up my heart and my mind to recognize that I might already have enough in my life to provide me the happiness that I see, then I can step away from this feeling that I don't have what it takes or that there's something wrong with me. Mm, So good. This one is so big force. Okay, number five, offer yourself the gift of unconditional self friendship as you work by yourself to unwind lifelong feelings of shame and inferiority. You realize you're not alone in that process. You have community and friends. You have to pick the right ones, but know that they want to be a part of that journey with you. Number six, don't allow yourself to wallow in suffering, okay? Figure out what's causing it and do what you can to heal it. Number seven, guys, keep an eye out for envy, all right? You never come out ahead when you compare yourself to other people. The worst thing you can do sometimes it's for is be on social media because you're comparing everyone else's highlight reel to your behind the scenes because you're actually authentic and that can become depressing. Realize they're just the highlight reels. Everybody's got problems, okay? Next one, stop fantasizing about the ideal career or relationship. Instead, just work hard for what's possible right in front of you and see it through to completion. Number nine, don't look for beauty and meaning only in the extraordinary or unusual, but be present in the order and simple things in life as well. And that's what's beautiful. That's actually one of the things you do really well, Matt. I really appreciate. Number 10, when the past calls, let it go to voicemail. 100%. Every (laughs) single time. Yeah, because it has nothing new to say to you. And lastly, guys, don't embellish and get swept away up in your feelings, okay? No emotion is final. I remember when we were parenting and somebody said, hey, the best parenting advice I can ever give you when your toddler is screaming like crazy, your infant, is this too shall pass. (laughs) And so may you take those words and remember them when you're having all of these emotions wash over you. So with that, Matt, thank you so much for your vulnerability and willingness to share your story as a four. You're welcome. And uh, glad you're here, buddy. And so if you have questions, we got answers. Simply go to mattmorgan.com and go to the contact us page. We'd love to hear your story as you interact with the Enneagram as well. Cheers for now. And we'll see you next week as we unpack Enneagram type five. Thanks for listening to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. Subscribe below, share it with your friends, and if you want to take your life, love, or leadership to the next level, check us out online at mattmorgan.com.